Hey, today we are continuing our series in the book of Colossians. So if you want to make your way there in your Bible or on your phone app, Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be taking our time through this fall leading up to our Christmas series. And, uh, and, and really this whole book is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is enough. This is a small church that was born out of a man named Epaphras who went to Ephesus where Paul had been preaching about 80 miles away for about a two-year period. Paul was doing ministry in in the, the city of Ephesus. And Epaphras had heard the gospel. It began to take root in his life and he went back to Colossae and he began to share the good news. And a church was born. And this church that began to grow and the gospel began to transform lives uh, even as some of the things that we were listening to about the rescue mission where lives are being repaired, families are being restored, people were getting ground in the truth, finally, uh, this little church now is under some attack. There's a lot of religious diversity in this area, and so some of these false teachers were coming in and saying, hey, Jesus is a great base, but there's other things that you can add to this religion of yours, this newfound faith that you have in, you know, Jesus. Uh, they had some things that they believed about Jesus, um, that he wasn't uh, perhaps maybe, you know, God the Son. Uh, they had some other things that they were adding, like, uh, in fact, anything that diminishes who Jesus is, like his person and the work that he accomplished on the cross, or anything that elevates human effort, like God's favor now is upon you because of the stuff that you're doing, uh, then that's bogus. And that's kind of what Paul's going to be talking about. We started last week looking at, he was thankful for the church. He was thankful that they had a faith in Christ. He was thankful that they had a genuine love for each other. He was thankful uh, that, that the gospel began to take root in their lives, and it began to spread all over the region. And now he, it leads him to this prayer for this congregation. Uh, the content of this prayer is very interesting. Uh, we pray for one another for specific things, as we should. Um, there are things that we need. Someone needs a job, we pray for a job. Uh, someone needs, you know, a restored relationship. They need a restored relationship. But it's interesting the, the, the depth of requests that Paul has. In fact, uh, today we're talking about how we can pray for one another and how we can actually pray these things into our own lives. When you think about, Lord, what do you want from me? This is for sure some of the things that God wants for your life on a regular and continual basis. So Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verse 9 through 14 this morning. So if you found your way there 35 minutes ago, uh, we'll continue. It says, and so from the day, Paul writes, we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Think about this list, what Paul actually prayed. Uh, there's four things we'll look at this morning. The first, Paul begins, he says, I'm praying for you that you'll have a full knowledge of God's will. 
I can't think of something that would be more important for our lives is to know what God's will is for our lives, to know that he has a purpose and a plan and we have a reason for our existence. In fact, the most important thing in life would be to know what God's will is and then to actually accomplish it, to actually do what he's asking us to do. Because, and we can't do it without actually knowing what his will is. I want you to just pause for a second and, and really do some honest eval in your own heart. Does knowing God's will, like, does it register as something vital and very, very important? You think about, Lord, like, my life is about knowing what you are asking me to do, knowing what your plan is for my life, and then executing on that plan. I was thinking backstage today, uh, earlier, when I was praying for our service, and I was just thinking about that, that so often we're almost like, Lord, here's my plans, and now I want you to bless them, sort of way of living, as opposed to God. I'm desperate to know what it is that you want for my life. In fact, to actually have the kind of heart that would say, Lord, help me to know your will for each situation and not just sort of inserting our own will and our own desires. I think it's really important that Paul says, I want you to have a full knowledge of God's will. To give them, he said, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here's how that works out in a practical way in our lives. It means he wants them to comprehend the truth And again, remember, they're dealing with a lot of air that's coming in, so that God would give them spiritual wisdom to understand that this is false and bogus when someone's telling me, you need to add this to your life in order to be saved. You need to do this, not just believe in Jesus, but you need to do this. Or as some would also be communicating to them, that it doesn't matter what you do with your physical body, because as they were teaching, some were believing that your bodies just matter, and that doesn't affect your relationship with God. So cheating on your spouse or, you know, doing whatever they were doing back then, but we've stopped doing that in these days, right? Uh, that it doesn't matter what your body does, because that really doesn't affect your relationship to God. He says that you would have the ability to comprehend the truth, but also to apply it. Wisdom, spiritual wisdom, and understanding the application of it. Knowing his will would cause us to actually do things we might not do, like to endure a situation. You might have a job where you say, uh, man, I just, I hate everyone I work with. I hate what I do. But you just know that, hey, this is where God wants you. And maybe it's a trial that you're facing right now. And you say, you know what? I'm going to endure it. It might be a rough marriage. It might be a difficult season uh, in your marriage life. And you say, but I know that this is God's will because I made a covenant and a vow. I'm going to endure and, and, and hang in there when I want to quit. It might be that God wants you to be patient with others instead of getting angry with them and being dismissive of them because it's his will that you and I would show kindness and patience to those around us. Well, how do we get this complete knowledge? It's a work of God's spirit in our lives for sure, but it's being dedicated to God's word. How do we know what God's will is for our lives? You know, it's not like we can turn to like the book of... um, the book of Fleshalonians, and say like, oh, Lord, where should I go to school? It's like, thou shalt go to uh, USC. Well, no, that wouldn't be from the Lord, would it? Uh, or, you know, anywhere, you don't hear that. Or, hey, who should I marry? You know, like, well, her name rhymes with Tamara. Uh, that's not how we find out some of those kinds of decisions in our life. But we get insight into the kinds of things that might God might want to be a part of our lives. And we certainly find uh, his his 
his, um, his will for our lives, his, what he's actually asking us to do, that you and I would love the unlovable, that you and I would forgive when we don't feel like forgiving. It's, we learn his will, his permissive will as well, like how he navigates our life as we interact with Jesus in his word, spending time in his word. Uh, it doesn't come as, as they were being taught, some of these false teachers. There's this mystical approach to God. You know, there were, they had some just goofy kinds of spirituality that they were trying to tell people to. You got to have this, this experience. And then God's will, knowledge, you'll have a full knowledge of God. It's not like God is like in heaven going like, you know, listen, I want, I want you to know my will. And he's like, nope. My, well, but I really want to know your will. Okay, nope. You know, not, that's not how God works. He's not trying to play hide and seek with us. Uh, he wants to reveal his word to us, his will to us, and he does it as we open his word and we we put ourselves in that kind of environment. We already learned in the uh, previous verses last week that he's revealed his will in his word, and Paul called it the truth of the gospel. Two times he mentions that the gospel is truth, that his word is truth, as God's Spirit reveals Himself to us in His word and His will for our lives. Uh, it's just so important that we would actually seek it out, to be a student uh, of God's word, asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us. You know, I've been a Christian now for um, like a long time. Actually, October 5th, the ladies' night, 1988, is when I became a Christian. That's the night I, I committed my life to Christ. Or uh, I was going to say, that's when I found God. Oh, good, we didn't know he was lost. Uh, that's when God found me, we might say. And uh, um, there are times where reading God's word becomes almost just like, well, it's just what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to floss, supposed to brush your teeth, you're supposed to read the Bible, you're supposed to listen to Christian music, and almost kind of like it just becomes routine and almost like a rut. There's sometimes I just have to stop and say, like, listen, you're about to read God's breathed out words, Right to just pause and say, Lord, would you open my heart today and not let this be just a check the boxes so that your YouVersion app doesn't email you going like, hey, bro, are you okay? You haven't read your Bible for 21 days. Like, it's just, Lord, I want to interact with you. I want to get to know you. That's how it happens. To be a student of his word, he'll give you spiritual insight and wisdom, and then to act upon it in your life. Paul says in verse 10 that the outcome of spiritual wisdom and understanding is really living out a transformed life. As he says, number two, that, that not only would you have a full knowledge of God's will, but that you would also live lives that please the Lord. That's something we don't talk a lot about, right? To live a life that pleases the Lord. Paul talks about it a lot. Like, like that you and I would, would live lives that bring glory and honor to him. And I think that because if we have sort of like a religious background, sort of like a legalistic background, if you would, we think about the only way for God to be, um, you know, for God to bless me and give me his favor is that I've got to be living this perfect, rigid life. That's not what it's about. It's about going, God, I want to learn what your word has to say about how you want me to live my life out. And then as I'm walking with God, my life slowly begins to become more and more transformed, but it's not from the outside in. And that's what this church was under attack. They were telling them, if you avoid these foods, well, then God's really going to bless you with his favor, right? Like foods and, and external things and rituals and rites. That's all stuff that's just religion. 
It's about a heart change, right? It's about from the heart. Jesus actually talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's about a new way to live as a human now that the Spirit of God has taken up residence in our life. And it doesn't just uh, about what you and I don't do and avoid. It's about the level of the heart when he talks about, like, you've heard it said, do not kill. But I'm telling you, don't let anger and bitterness sort of kind of direct your life in your heart. Yeah, you didn't take out a hatchet and, and kill him, but you wanted to, right? It's that heart level stuff to live a life pleasing to the Lord. And knowledge and conduct are always connected because what you and I really believe and as we begin to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, it actually will start to affect our behavior. And see, that's the, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the truth of the gospel. It begins to take root in our lives where someone who is actually just like an unloving, like just not cool to be around <laughs> And then they get saved, and they really get saved. You know what I mean? Like, life is different now, and you just go like, you're waiting for it to blow up. You're waiting for them to respond. And you're just like going, man, like, I guess the gospel's really real, right? I think that was Lee Strobel's whole uh, storyline. You know, the guy who wrote uh, The Case for Faith and The Case for Christ is that he actually got saved, and his family was just kind of going like, I guess Jesus is real because he's becoming a different human being. Paul says that you and I would live lives that would, uh, it would be a worthy walk. It would be a life that pleases the Lord. Paul says this in Romans. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. To live a life that brings honor to the Lord. You know, the book of Ephesians is a kind of a... a I guess, a, a cousin letter to uh, the, church, the book of Colossians. Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote both of these letters. And, uh, and the book of Ephesians can be broken down, and really chapters 1 through 3 is about all that Jesus has done for us, the gospel, right? To know that this is what the Lord has done in your life. He's made those who are dead, he's made them alive. He's saved you and I by grace. And then chapter 4 begins, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling wherewith you've been called. It's out of knowing what God has done for me, knowing the gospel, knowing the grace of God, and knowing that I'm not trying to gain his favor, I'm actually just seeking to now honor the one who's reached down and saved me, to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. The result of a worthy walk, he talks about it, is that, uh, that you and I would do good works Good works would be a part of our life. We would be bearing fruit. Remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Paul writes to the church in Colossians, he says, in every good work. It's not for salvation, but it's from a place of salvation. When you think about when the Bible calls you and I to do good in this world, to bless others, to serve others. It's not so that we can be saved. It actually is just a result of being a person who's been transformed. It's from a place of salvation in our lives. 
Paul tells the church in Ephesus, he says, uh, you were created in Christ Jesus, chapter two, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that you and I should walk in them. When Jesus talked about you and I being the light of the world and letting our good deeds shine out, what Paul is telling them is that, is that these good deeds, right, this life that's pleasing to the Lord, this worthy walk that you and I would have, it will bear fruit. And the result is the community around us actually begin to see that fruit, feel that love and effort from a church, and that they'll actually be drawn into the community of faith glorifying Jesus and drawing people to him. This fruit bearing that Paul describes, it's like an ongoing thing. Remember in John's gospel, chapter 15, Jesus said that I am the the vine and you are the branches, right? And as we abide in him, he says, you'll bear much fruit. And, And by bearing fruit, he says, you will glorify your father in heaven. We may have in our mind's eye, you know, bearing fruit is like these big things isn't it amazing? The simple blessing of just even going through our closet this afternoon and going, what coat could be a blessing to someone else? Going to Target or going to Walmart and picking up some stuff. It might feel insignificant to us when we drop it in a box, but I'm telling you, as we had my friend Andre from Trinity, I'm doing this right now because he's like over there, Trinity Church, it's like way up there. And uh, Andre, do you guys, I don't know if you guys remember, we had Andre um, share on a video. Andre's from Romania, and he was a recipient of a Christmas child box, you know, with Samaritan's Purse. You know, we put those boxes together, which we'll do again this Christmas, and we're just like going, who wants some freaking gloves? You know what I mean? You know what Andre did? He said that that, that was like the, oh, you got gloves? I'll trade you three yo-yos and a pack of gum for, you know what I mean? Just like, and I'm just going, wait a minute. Like it was, he goes, dude, we couldn't wait for that day to happen. Isn't that nuts? The stuff that you and I just take for granted. Small things. Maybe there's someone today that you know is going through a really, really difficult time. And the effort it might take to spend an hour with them at a coffee shop to just hear the burdens they're carrying and saying, can I pray for you today? Amazing. It's amazing. You know, you guys know the journey Tam and I have been on the last six months with my uh, treatment. And uh, I get two weeks, I go to my, um, my uh, what do you call it, PET scan. And, uh, and then they can give me like a bunch of drugs. I'm going to be like um, Iron Man, I think, when I come out of my PET scan. Just like a little fake little thing, energy. Uh, anyway, so they'll be able to say, hey, cancer's gone. Uh, that wasn't something we anticipated in 2022. I mean, we had a whole different set of plans for 2022. And uh, when we get a phone call or a text message or a message on Instagram or a DoorDash, it was just amazing. You just felt like, man, just the good love of people surrounding us, it's just powerful. Something so insignificant and, 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 and so small in our eyes can be such a big, big blessing that's the kinds of stuff that glorifies the Lord. That's the kind of stuff that, that's the fruit that's bearing out of our lives. And not just that, Paul says, uh, it's bearing fruit, but it's also increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord is not just bearing fruit, but getting to know God on a more ongoing basis. Not about God, but actually knowing God. I want you to think about that for a second. What would you, how would you rate your knowledge of God today? 
How would you rate actually like what you know about God? And where did you get that knowledge? Think through that for a moment today. Like how much do I know God? You know, it's interesting. Uh, God, I've heard said, and it's a true statement. Every one of us is as close to God as we really want to be, right? We all have this uh, ability to, to put effort into the things that are important to us. If you have a good marriage here today, it's because you put effort into it. You need to sort of stumble into a great marriage, right? You actually put effort into it. If you really want to know God, Paul's saying, this is what a worthy walk is. It's bearing fruit and continuing to know God in a personal way. It's our mission statement as a church, knowing Jesus and making him known. Again, not about God, but knowing him. It's a word that Paul uses to know by experience, right? To actually have relationship with him. Uh, it should be the greatest pursuit of our life, but isn't it interesting that that's the one thing that gets sort of chipped away with our energy and time? I just binge watched like two seasons of a show this last weekend. I actually watched my wife binge watch a show as I sat there and I prayed for her. Oh Lord, I'm so sorry. Like how much you interact with your phone. And it's just like, it pops up like once a week. No way. I, you are this much of a loser over last week. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way I spent that many hours every single day, you know, looking at my phone. And then like uh, Steve Jobs like speaks out like, you are that man. Uh, yeah, that's what happens. You go, okay, Lord. Maybe there's some priorities that need to change in my life. You know, a primary, I'll mention again, a primary way of knowing God is his word and prayer. Like, I promise you, we're in our last quarter of the year right now. I promise you, your end of 2022 will be so much significantly better and greater than the beginning of 2022 without any circumstances changing. If you simply just said, I'm going to press in to knowing the Lord. I'm going to put effort into spending time in his word. I talk to our young people all the time. We have some amazing high school, junior high young people at RVC. But my great hope for them would be uh, that their success in life would not be about what they achieve, right, and where they end up in their career, but they actually have a strong walk with Jesus, and, and for our high school friends here today, you might think, well, when I have like a, you know, a family and I have to go to baseball and all this stuff, then I'll really put effort into my walk with God. Let me just tell you right now, if, you, if it won't happen then. Now is the time to dive into your walk with God. Every adult here, I promise you could look back and say, if I have one regret in high school was that I didn't put Jesus number one in my life, to know him to encounter Jesus in his word. Man, please, let's get it out of our heads that this is just like a task list. I read my Bible. I went to Target. I you know, took my kid. I picked him up. Congratulations. But this is my time to know the God of the universe who's chosen to reveal himself to you and I in his word. So vital, so important. If you don't own a copy of the Bible, we have free Bibles in the back to grab and take. Because it's just so important. And then his prayer moves into, when I read that, like, that I, might, that I might live a life pleasing to the Lord, fully pleasing to him. I say, Lord, I can't. Because I look back at my week and go, you know, there's a lot of things that, that don't seem to line up with his word. Is there anyone else with me? 
Like, I'm going to respond this way. And then just like, it's like your old self says, hey, like, hold my coffee. Like, and then that old self just goes, nope, this is how we're going to respond. <laughs> and it's like going, that, that's not what I meant. Let me boop, 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 boop. Take it all back. Lord, how do I do that? How do I live a life pleasing to you? God, how do I, how do I uh, have victory over temptation? How do I respond in loving ways with patience? How do I endure difficult situations and trials in my own strength? Paul says you don't have to. I think that's a, that's a missing ingredient to living out the Christian life is that we need his power. And so number three, Paul says that you would rely upon God's strength. And it comes directly from him, as Paul says, according to his glorious might. Facing what we face in life. I look at our young people right now and I think, I couldn't live high school again with the pressures that they face, with the stuff all over social media, the distractions that are around. Like I had an Atari 400. You know what I mean? That was my distraction. <laughs> and uh, can you, I mean, for adults here today, you, you get it. These kids are just under assault and attack. And then to be a Christian that actually like believes God's truth and even demonstrate it in loving ways, man, they're just under attack. Like that you would be such an unloving human being to actually believe in the son of God and start, try to follow him with your life. Man, we need the power of God. Total reliance upon him. Asking him daily for strength, right? It's, it's, a, it's just for today. Sometimes our strength is just a moment by moment. How can I get to lunch today dealing with what I'm dealing with? How can I make it to this evening? God, I need your strength. God, I need you to give me power. And I think that sometimes we try to blend our own strength with the strength that God wants to provide. Paul knew this strength. And he said that the Lord spoke to him and says, when you are weak, then you're finally strong. Because now you're done trying to rely on your own strength. You get to the end of your own rope and you say, God, I'm done. I can't. There's nothing else that I've got to give to this. And the Lord says, well, that's when you're going to find the beginning of my rope and my strength where he comes into our life and gives us that day-by-day strength. That's what Paul, he used, he used a word that meant a day-by-day strength that's ongoing. Sometimes I look ahead and go, or you hear the story that she shared this morning about a, you know, a guy who's, you know, seemed like everything should be going great, and then to hear the tragedy of the loss of a child. It's just, un, it's just you just can't, how could someone walk through that? Sometimes I'll look ahead and go like, well, Lord, I don't know how we're going to make it through that or what we're going to do with this, you know, or what if. You know what the Lord says? Hey, don't worry about a strength that you don't need just yet. Just receive your strength today. It's kind of like the children of Israel when they're out, out in the wilderness. You know, some of them are like going like, hey, you know, this manna, its expiration date's like midnight. You know what I mean? You ever go to Trader Joe's, it's like going, why do they still have this bread here? It's like like a, a day away from being, I can't eat a whole loaf of bread. I'm 52. I'll like swell up like a sponge. You know what I mean? That's a whole different issue we need to get into, right? Why can't we just get like a half a loaf? You know what I'm saying? Hey, the 50 plus crowd, here's your half a loaf. Um, they probably sell it. I just haven't found it yet. What was that? Oh, here we go. Bread. There we go. Bread for today. Just bread for today. The Lord says, go out and gather what you need, but it's just for today. And then the next day, there's going to be manna out there. 
He was teaching them a principle. Rely on God. Maybe you're going through something right now. You just go, Lord, I'm trying this in my own strength. And the Lord is saying to you, you need to day by day choose to say, God, I'm done. I need your strength. And you'll find that God meets you right there with the strength you need just for that day. What do you need today? Are you going through a trial right now that just feels like it should be over? Do you have a temptation that just feels like it's overwhelming, this impulse to lash out or this impulse to react or this impulse to give in? His strength, Paul's whole premise of this letter is that Jesus is enough and his strength is enough if you and I would just simply rely upon it. To endure, when he says that we would have endurance, it means to hold one's position in battle. It seems to be referring to a difficult circumstance. And then he uses the word patience. And it seems to be dealing with difficult people, you know, a trial and individual people. And then he says that we would do it with joy. Boy, so often we're in a trial or in a time of, like, endurance, Lord. I've been hanging on, Lord, you know what I mean? But we like been whining and crying about it the whole way through. I get it. I'm a just a whiner <laughs> and crybaby. I'm like, oh, and Tammy's like, it's only 7 a.m. Like, have a brighter outlook on them today. It's with joy. You know, that's possible to experience God like that, to experience a trial like that, no matter what it is you're facing. The secret is just to go, God, it's out of my control. There's nothing that I can do. And you're going to see me to the end. You're going to see this through to the end. Jesus is enough. He has strength for us as believers to patiently endure with joy. And this last request is that you and I would have hearts that would be filled with gratitude. And he points them to the work of Jesus in this. That we would have gratitude for Christ's work in our lives. All he is and all he has done makes joy and thanksgiving the most appropriate response each and every day. We have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? We have a lot to be, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my church family. I'm grateful for my season of health. I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful for all his provision for my life. I'm grateful for my golden doodle, which if you have met him, you ought to be grateful too. It's like a huge blessing. But Paul's like, let me elevate this for you. Let me help you understand just how valued you are in the eyes of God. And he begins this threefold sort of gratitude, blessing. This is what he's accomplished for us that we could never do on our own. He says that he's qualified us. It says, uh, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. I wasn't qualified on my own, right? I was spiritually bankrupt. I could not save myself or change my situation. Right? My salvation is all his work, and I can't add anything to it. We began last week by saying this little letter could be, be, be uh, summed up with Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's all God's work. You can't be a part of your salvation. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul says. And he has made you and I alive. 
We don't qualify ourselves through our moral effort, our religious activity, our good intentions. Good intentions uh, can never qualify you and I for his inheritance in heaven. It's by his grace, which is a gift. And when a person trusts in Christ and they surrender their life to him, they get qualified to be a part of his kingdom. Something you can't earn, you can only receive it. And Paul says that, that we share in his inheritance that belongs to the saints of life. He also, it says, he rescued us. Who rescued us from, or delivered us from, the domain of darkness. That was our, our, our lot in life before we came to Christ. We were in darkness. Paul writes to, the, uh, to Timothy, and he said that, that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers, or he wrote to the church in Corinth. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers. Think about that. Before you and I were saved, it wasn't like we said, like, well, I'm thinking about choosing the, the Son of God and following him, but ah, maybe not. It might stay a part of the domain of darkness. We didn't have a choice. The image that Paul uses here is that a conquering king came and delivered a group of people that were being held captive. And that was our lot in life. We had no power to deliver ourselves. And it was a remarkable thing that had happened to them and us. We were under the control of the evil one, and we personally belonged to that domain of darkness. But then Paul says, who's transferred us to his kingdom? The adoption process is complete. It, it, there's, no, there's no waiting to find out. Has it gone through? Are you really a son of God, a, a daughter of God? Am I really a, a child of God today? He came to rescue a group of people that were under the control of Satan, and he's transferred us like a conquering king, is the image Paul uses, that he took a group of people that were in another kingdom, and now we're a part of the kingdom of his beloved son. With all the benefits and blessings of that kingdom, that's what you and I have happened. That's what conversion is all about. We were in darkness, and God has rescued us and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And now Paul says, ours is redemption. It's a word that means to buy something back. You and I were sold into slavery when Adam sinned thousands of years back. Sin entered this world, and you and I inherited a sin nature. Something we, we chat about with, uh, it's fun to watch grandbabies grow up, these perfect little messiahs in our eyes, right? Uh, you know, we teach them, you know, how to say please and thank you. You know what you never teach them to do? Be sneaky and lie. It's just inherited, right, in them. Uh, we just get better at lying as we get older, but right, I mean, back of the kids, three boys, Someone's got a mark on their face. It didn't just happen, right? Especially if I had ring cameras everywhere like I do now. That would have been so much easier, right? <laughs> like busting the wrong kid every single time. It's like, no, sorry, I got it on video, buddy. You're busted. Uh, it's, we were sold into slavery of sin. We, we don't, we don't uh, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's our nature. And, and we've been redeemed now, bought back out of slavery of sin. And then he says, and we have forgiveness, our greatest need. Right now, if you are a Christian today, if you've committed your life to Jesus, 
All of this that Paul described has happened for you on your behalf. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes life gets heavy and gets difficult. But I love that Paul elevates it and says, let me tell you some things you ought to be grateful for today. There might be some stinky things in your life right now, but it's just going to be like a, a blip on a screen compared to our life in eternity. He says, let me elevate what Jesus, the sufficient Savior, has accomplished already on your behalf. And the kingdom that you and I are promised is not a future kingdom alone. It's a kingdom now kind of kingdom where all the benefits and blessings of that kingdom belong to us now as we serve the king of kings. Forgiveness, the word Paul uses, it's it's a word that means sending something away. He took your sin, my sin, my guilt, and he sent it away like we read uh, weeks back in Psalm 103, that he's removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. If you're a Christian today, that's what happened to you. That's what he did. And we receive it with gratitude and thanksgiving. If you have nothing to be thankful for today, you can look at your redemption and your forgiveness and the fact that he took you in darkness and transferred you into his kingdom of light. And you and I get to share in this inheritance with him in heaven for all eternity. Well, that's something that we ought to be grateful for. And I wonder if that kind of thinking, that sort of heaven-minded thinking, it changes the way we think about life on earth and the difficulties and the things that disappoint us and whatnot. I started this by saying this is what Paul's prayer was. My encouragement to you is that you commit to praying through this prayer this week for your own heart, for your kids and the people in your life, and for this church body. Because these are the kinds of things that God wants to see increasing in each one of our lives. And I can promise you, uh, your life will continue to significantly get better without circumstances changing simply because these spiritual blessings begin to become increased in each one of our lives. Maybe today's a day where you want this to be your reality. You think about your life today. You think, man, I, I, think, about, I think about God as uh, in heaven and eternity is something that I've got to actually like get some stuff together, right? I've got to get things in, you know, ready and I've got to work harder and, you know, God should accept me because gosh, you know, if he grades on a scale, then, you know, I'm certainly better than my neighbor and for sure better than my siblings. But that's not how it works. Perfection, absolute perfection. How can we earn God's kingdom being perfect like his dear son? And if that's not an option, which it's not, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, we need a substitute, someone that was willing to go to the cross for us. That's what Paul just described. He redeemed you by giving up his own life for you personally on the cross. Paul says that, that, that God made him who never sinned to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. If you think that you can earn your way to God through good works, if you think that you can uh, be religious enough That's just human's ability or attempt to reach a holy God. It's impossible. That's what religion is. But the gospel is that God stepped down from heaven, became a man, lived a life none of us could ever live, ultimately going to the cross on my behalf and your behalf. And and God Almighty allowed 
all the wrath for sin to be poured out on his dear son as if he was the one who committed Gordon's sins, committed your sins, committed the sins of the whole world. And he absorbed God's wrath, making it possible for forgiveness to be granted to all who come to him by faith. That's the message, my friend, that we are called to give out to our our community, to our loved ones. That's the message that we want to invite people to come and hear on a regular basis as they open God's word with us uh, Sunday after Sunday. And it might be the message your own heart really just needs to grab a hold of right now. If you say, man, I don't know that I've been transferred into the kingdom of light. I don't know that I have a relationship with them. Man, you can simply cry out to God right where you're sitting this morning. Wherever you're at, if you're listening to this podcast, you can cry out to God and say, God, forgive me a sinner. God, come into my life. God, make me a new person. Lord, I confess to you that I'm a sinner and that I need your salvation. Come into my life. You know, it's no magical prayer. It's a, a position of your heart where you recognize you're a sinner. You admit to him that you've sinned and that you believe that he's the one who died for your sins and you choose to confess him as your savior. Man, you could do that right now, even as we close in our time of worship today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for your word that you've given to us, Lord. And I pray, God, that as we study this little letter to the church of uh, Colossae, that we would, we would grow in our own understanding of who you are, Jesus. Lord, what you have done for us, Lord. How you are sufficient for not only saving us, as we learn next week, that, God, you are the, the, the visible image of the invisible God. That all, all things were created by you and for you. That, Lord, we would have an elevated view of who you are. God, that it might make our faith in you stronger and that it might make our desire to know you and live for you stronger as well. Lord, I pray that you'd bless each and every person here today, God. Even as we work through this prayer this week, God, praying these things into our family's life, our kids' lives, Lord, our own hearts, and certainly the life of this church. Lord, we love you, God, and we thank you for today. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.